All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight is uh, we're ringing in the new year, so we're going to be dragging up an old classic from just 30 years ago. It doesn't seem that long ago, but it is sort of uh, centered on New Year's Eve, or a very prominent portion of the movie is. Uh, of course, we're doing When Harry Met Sally. Uh, why not do a rom-com as we uh, end out the decade of the 2010s? and go into the 2020s for a new year that is sure to be full of political strife. Uh, many liberal tiers, probably some conservative tiers as well. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, perhaps we will also have a, uh, you know, another financial crisis uh, or something along those lines. Uh, speaking of financial crises, Robert, how are things going on uh, the work front there? Speaking of financial crises? Yeah, the exact opposite. You guys are doing great. Gangbusters. Yeah, I mean, that's the plan. I, I don't think we've tapped the market here yet. We just really kind of getting started. We're just a single operation, but we're hoping to expand rapidly and, now, uh, you know, serve the whole county. Did I see that you guys were open on Christmas Day? If you did, that was a flagrant, slanderous lie. Because no, we were not. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'll have to talk to their social media manager about that one. I thought that perhaps you guys were being exploited by the evil capitalist who was making you guys Scrooge-like uh, work on Christmas Day, Bob Cratchit style. Yeah, no, I wouldn't put it past him. My my boss is the kind of slave driver that would drive the slaves to work on Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, any other day. But no, uh, he was actually out of town, so he couldn't quite crack the whip as hard as he wanted to, probably. All right. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad you got a little respite from yourself. So <laughs> well, well done, sir. Well done. Well, uh, yeah, I don't want to delay this much longer because, you know, when we decide we want to have a guest on, we want that guest to be on as soon as possible. And so, yeah. Let's get into that last night's portion of the show and uh, introduce her. Okay. Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, The Last Nighters. And The Last Nighters can be found on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction, as can our guest, as she is part of the Johnny Rocket show blast off with johnny rocket and raylene lightheart i just let the cat out of the bag uh and we are going to make her meow uh as we talk about when harry met sally and we'll be having what she's having this is episode 104 of the show it's our new year's show uh the uh, the crux of this movie ends on new year's eve so why not do a uh, <laughs> the old rom rom-com uh with a double dose of crude humor and witty charm from this holiday classic starring billy crystal and meg ryan Raylene, how are you? Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks. I love to be with you guys. This is so fun. Um, a favorite movie of mine. I'm doing well. Well, great. We had you on for one of your other favorites, The Karate Kid, just a few months ago. And it was a very uh, excellent episode. And we were very uh, pleased with how it turned out and excited to have you back on for your other favorite. Now, you sound like my kids because they tend to use favorite for almost everything. And we're trying to make mm -hmm. it clear to them that a favorite means that you're selecting one of many to be mm -hmm. the top tier. 
So where does this movie sit between Karate Kid <laughs> and When Harry Met Sally for you? Oh, Karate Kid, I have um, a bigger emotional connection to, but this is my favorite rom-com. It is the godfather of rom-coms, in my opinion, so I think uh, it's the best one. And uh, I, my husband was just laughing because he goes, wow, we had this exact same relationship, but in a much more condensed version. It wasn't like 11 years to get together. <laughs> so it was very similar. All right. Very good. Well, I, you guys I, were friends first. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it is possible. Big time. Yeah, well, we kind of lied to ourselves just like they did in a beautiful, very romantic fashion. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's what we need here. The heartwarming stories to uh, <laughs> brighten our hearts and homes during the <laughs> holiday period. Um, so, yeah, Christmas just just occurred and uh, we're coming up on New Year's here. So welcome to 2020, everyone. And welcome to the show, Raylene. This is, like I said, episode 140. Find the show notes more at lastnerd.com slash 104. And also find the show at The Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. TheLaunchpadMedia.com, where you can also find Raylene's show, Blast Off with Johnny Rocket and Raylene Lightheart. Now, you guys have been um, back at it again. Is that right? You have a couple more episodes uh, in recent times? Yeah, we have like four in the can. Um, our editor just uh got back with us and we're, we're putting it all back out there i can't wait to get recording uh we have a few shows in the can ready to go but i am ready to get back in there so is johnny just talk to him today awesome i'm i'm looking forward to that and uh also i need to extend an invite to have him on the show as well uh he's a great guy and uh i think he'd be excellent talking about whatever he wants i know there's no keeping him quiet so <laughs> i love him if you guys ever want to do a um mash that's his favorite. I don't know if that's a the movie TV shows. Not well. They have a media movie, didn't they? They do. Yeah, they did before he the probably show. Probably would want to do that. No joke. He loves it. Yeah, I think there's. Uh, if I recall, there's some pretty good uh, anti-war messaging in there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's probably a worthy worthy movie of doing. Yeah. Well, speaking of worthy movies and uh, worthy times, we let's get into this with the El Google description where we kick this off. So When Harry Met Sally came out in 1989, rated R due to Billy Christi- Crystal's uh, crude humor. Uh, drama slash romance, one hour, 36 minutes, though plays much longer, in my opinion. 7.6 IMDb, 90% Rotten Tomatoes, four out of five on Common Sense Media, and 88% of Google users dog-whistled this one with their approval. Uh, the description is, in 1977, college graduates Harry Burns and Sally Albright, played by Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan, uh, respectively, share a contentious car ride from Chicago to New York, during which they argue about whether men and women can ever truly be strictly platonic friends. Ten years later, Harry and Sally meet again at a bookstore, and in the company of their respective best friends, Jess and Marie, played by Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher, or Princess Leia, and attempt to stay friends without sex, becoming an issue between them, came out July 12, 1989. Director is Rob Weiner, I mean Rob Niner. Reiner? <laughs> Niner? Is that your Niner in there? Uh, and the screenplay by Nora Ephron and features the Harry Connick Jr. ballads uh, such as It Had to Be You. Uh, so, Robert, let's go to you for your initial reaction. Then we'll go to Raylene. Well, I wonder how much of the original manuscript was actually on the screen. You mentioned that Billy's humor brought it to an R rating. I would imagine that they hired him and he ad-libbed a whole bunch of stuff that made it into the movie. And then they were like, well, we're not going to cut it. And we'll just leave it as an R, even though R comedies generally tend to make less money, especially back in the 80s. They probably would have wanted a PG-13 rating. But um, I mean, rewatching this movie, it just struck me how well good writing transcends time. Um, This movie really plays plays up the differences between men and women. And that's essentially eternal until human beings become some sort of other thing, maybe in the future of evolution of us. I don't know. But until that happens, 
I think this movie's going to play really well. Um, and yeah, you could watch it today and still find plenty to enjoy about it. I don't, I don't think, I mean, other than the, the specific lifestyle parts of living in New York in the eighties, which is kind of minimal. It's just the setting. I mean, I, I think you could totally enjoy it as much today as it was when it was originally released. Yeah, I would agree with a lot of those sentiments. The only thing that really stood out to me was, you know, the clothing and hairstyles being a bit dated and the giant telephone that was in one of the scenes. I was like, what the hell is that? I haven't seen one of those in like two decades. Uh, Raylene, what's your take on uh, the Google description and what Robert had opened with? Okay, so <clears throat> I agree that this does stand the test of time. The writing is amazing. The humor is on point. Um, I do happen to know a, not a lot of trivia on this one, just a little bit. Um, there was ad-libbing. And they did, there was a, a few scenes where uh, it wasn't planned and then they they kept rolling with it and it worked out. And I also know that Meg Ryan was the one that thought of the orgasm scene going the way it did. Um, so she had her part in that too, which I thought was really fun. Um, it wasn't even supposed to be in a restaurant, supposedly, in the original script. So I think that's really great. I, uh, I do want to say what's, what is different is that who knew that a benign movie like When Harry Met Sally would become so counterculture? There is so much in there about the difference between men and women that could be seen as total patriarchy stuff, um, very outdated about, you know, jokes, which we can go into later on the show about um, how it is to be single and men and women and the difference. And, and I have to say that the media now doesn't really show it like that, like it did then, um, even though I think everyone kind of agrees that there is a lot of truth in it still. So um, I think it's a very romantic and fun and uh I think that the way they drive each other crazy um, and end up when there's no pressure, how it, it's way less of a relationshipy thing. And you can really be very close to people who show a different side of life than, than how you live it. Yeah, I think those are very good points. Uh, and the point I wanted to make was that I think that, you know, along the lines of the patriarchal presentation here, I, mm -hmm. I, I feel like this is a movie that also couldn't really be made today, not yeah. without becoming problematic and Billy Crystal being, you know, tweeted out of existence or whatever, probably getting fired from from doing the Oscars and all that because of how he portrayed uh, being a man and, and coming on to her, but sort of not. And, and a lot of the subtle negging that was going on, which I got to admit, I mean, it's a it's a it's a functional tactic, you know, it works. Uh, and many of the things that were brought up in this movie became cultural um, tropes or, or things that originated in this movie, like the high maintenance, low maintenance thing. And um, Gosh, there was something else. Maybe it was related to the men and women can never be friends or truly be platonic friends because sexual always getting away. Those kinds of things were introduced. And I think it became part of culture going forward, whether people were uh, aware of the movie or familiar with the movie or not, or, or aware of the connection or not. Um, I think that it kind of paved the way for, for that kind of a thing to be identified almost in a Seinfeldian kind of way. Like, I was going to say it's before it's pre Seinfeld, the observational humor and the way of taking these situations and, and calling it out. Hey, hey, have you ever noticed this? And um, isn't it weird when, I mean, honestly, it, it's so good. Oh yeah. And, and that banter, the, the quick witted banter, it reminds me of um, who was the guy who did um, the social network and um, Molly's game, Robert, we, we just did those movies not too long ago. I'm like, he's the, he's the Aaron Sorkin. That's the, right? uh, Aaron Sorkin, yeah, he's the West Wing guy. Yeah, yeah, where where the I think he does it in a very scripted way, but it's it's that very rapid fire call and response between the the characters, and it's like fun to watch that because it's like nobody talks like this in the real world, you know. There's no one's that quick and that that quick witted, but 
you see it here in Billy Crystal. A lot of that stuff was ad-libbed on the spot. I mean, they kind of had a loose script. I think it was based on um, Rob Reiner's divorce from Penny Marshall and his period of dating, being newly single and, and in the dating world. And Billy Crystal was one of his best friends. So what the relationship we see depicted here between Billy Crystal and um, Bruno Kirby, um, Jess, is Billy Crystal and Rob Reiner. Uh, just Crystal is playing Reiner in the movie. Um, and and they were friends, uh, Crystal and Rob Reiner, f- from doing many movies together, uh, including um, The Princess Bride, which was, of course, an excellent movie. And uh, the other thing that I didn't quite um, realize until just watching this again was this was Meg Ryan's breakout role. Like prior to this, she was in some, you know, General Hospital or some... Inner Space? She was in Top Gun. Yeah, Top Gun is like a bit bit part, but memorable, you know, pretty memorable. Take Me to Better, Lose Me Forever, that kind of a thing. But this was the one that really broke her out into the rom-com sphere or stratosphere. Uh, and Which kind and of defined her career for the next 10 years, but yeah. Right, because then then you get into uh, Sleepless in Seattle and When Harry Met... or um, You Got, got mail. mail. And then there was another one she was in with um, Tom Hanks as well, I think, that uh, was romantically... Joe Vol- versus the Volcano, Joe- right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it kind of... I mean, yeah, she's a different character in all of them, but she's really the same character in all of them when it comes down to it. And she really was the perfect foil to um, Billy Crystal in this movie because she is like this very uptight, very specific uh, person who like knows exactly what she wants when it comes to like superfluous stuff, but not in what she wants, like in her life as far as goals go, you know, until she hits that like, you know, that point in, in a woman's life when they're like, all right, the the, the baby timer starts kicking what do you call that the clock the, the, the internal kicking. clock which she mentioned doesn't start until you're like did she say 37 or 36 yeah 36 but, but but obviously then her story about the little girl that she took and then she realized that she wanted to have kids so she was belying her narrative in that story and the real truth when she really told that story was that she does want a family and she does want someone to want to marry her i thought that was really lovely right and and it was it was um why her and joe broke up mm-hmm and it wasn't just that she had those um, desires to, you know, kind of nest and settle down. Uh, but it was also because they wanted that freedom to be able to fly off to Paris and have sex on the banister or whatever the heck they were talking about doing. But then she Spanish said, tiles. Yeah. <laughs> but then she said, but we never do that. So it's like you have that freedom, but you never realize it or you never take advantage of it. So really, you're squandering that as well. Um, now, I'm not like trying to advocate for, you know, yeah, go ahead and do all this hedonistic stuff. <laughs> But what I'm saying is if if you want to have freedom to do something and then you don't do it, then you're kind of unfulfilling even that, you know, so you might as well do something worth value, right? Like she, she really wanted it's to about have setting the goals uh, um, there. I was just having this really awesome talk today with somebody who lives with us, my, my friend Erica, and we were talking about freedom and freedom is so important to all of us that live here. And but then I was explaining that sometimes the idea of freedom is more. Uh, we can kind of become obsessed with the idea of freedom, but you still have responsibilities. So you're free to be an a-hole to people, but it isn't really giving you what you want or fostering the right life for you. And you're free to not do any of your dishes or clean your house or take care of your kids. That said, there are consequences to that. And sometimes you have to um, sacrifice freedom for what you actually want. Um, and and that is a, there's a freedom in that too, is letting go of the narrative and the idea and embracing what is actually right for you. Right. And of course, the freedom you're talking about is not freedom from government. <laughs> right. But, you know, freedom voluntarily chosen, like responsibilities voluntarily accepted. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Thank Robert, you for the clarification. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not for you. It's for, you know, 
it's for the normies out there. I know there's a couple. Yeah. Uh, Robert, your take on, on some of this stuff. Cause I know, um, uh, you're still in that seeking phase, I think, right? Like you're in that, um, you have that freedom and you're, you're devoting it in, on, in an entrepreneurial way now, but what's your take on the movie and, and kind of the angle we're talking about here? Well, yeah, the, the movie hit me, I think probably a little differently than any of you guys. I mean, you, you guys are in committed long-term relationships, but this is a movie about two people dealing with loneliness and unhappiness and all the trials and tribulations of the single life. And I think multiple characters throughout the movie were like, man, this single life sucks. This is just, this is balls. I don't want to do this anymore. Can we just, can I just hurry up and settle? Because I mean, nobody says that, but he said that he goes, I didn't want to date anymore. He literally got married to Helen because he didn't want to be out there anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes he moans. Okay. I have done that. I mean, (laughs) Have you guys ever actually indulged in the moaning with the lights off? Because it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, can't say I've done that. Just do but, it. Just lean in. Just have a couple of good? Just lean into moan. the pain? Like, sometimes it's, it's really fun to just indulge in the drama of the situation. I mean, I don't partake in actual drama like conflict. I hate that shit. But... Uh, leaning into the to the big passionate feelings we have. I mean, there's something actually. Be- and by the way, Billy Crystal does an excellent job of that in this movie. We have Billy Crystal, who's actually 100% in touch with his feelings. He's grieving. He's expressing himself. He's really leaning into being lonely and being sad and really embracing this season in his life and what he doesn't like. And he's the one communicating his feelings, which we always hear about women doing that and men not doing that. So I really love the spin on um in this movie on the men and women because he is the one communicating actual feelings, feeling them right now. And then uh, Sally, uh, May Ryan's character, is so controlling, so type A, and we see that, which is uh, where the hijinks are, obviously, because the two are so different. But what she's doing is pretending that she's over it sooner. She has She's taking this grieving period, and she has a plan, and she's trying so hard to stick to the plan that she's not really feeling the feelings, which is um, when they had the moment where they came together finally, and um, I'm going to say screwed up and slept together and made it weird. When that happened, it was everything they both wanted, and he didn't want to let himself feel that that was the one thing he was holding back from himself because he didn't want to screw it up because he didn't think he could do it right. He wanted to keep her. He wanted to keep her so badly that he lied to himself. She wanted to keep him so badly that she lied to herself, but she was lying about all of her other feelings too. And then when Joe was going to get married and she realized that he was never in love with her enough to want to marry her, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Then she just lay, just got real. She got real finally. And I mean, it, they could have never ended up together if that didn't happen. So um, I kind of like the role reversal there for the gender. Yeah. yeah and if anything, uh, Billy Crystal's arc was to learn how to better control his emotional outbursts and not be as um, so direct and uh, confrontational <laughs> and judgmental of others. Uh, granted, he often said it in witty ways. Um, and so I enjoyed the the humor of it, but yeah, I can imagine that would rub a lot of people the wrong way. I, well, I feel like judgmental too. They both had their own judgments, right? Right, right. And 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 you're right. You know, Meg Ryan, she she had to kind of let go and and kind of give in to the moment. I mean, it it took um, you know by the end, uh, her being confronted with Billy saying, you know, all those neurotic things about you. I actually love them mm-hmm. because they're what make you you, and you're unique. And and so this isn't just because I'm lonely or because you know I feel bad. This is because I, I have genuine feeling for you and it's been developing for a long time and it's destined to happen or, or, you know, not that like, I don't want to get, you know, 
forget to put in the crystals here and you know say destiny and chakras and all that crap but um it it made it for a nice ending which uh, apparently was not the original intended ending um efron and reiner were like we don't want them to end up together at the end but fuck off obviously it it, it works in this one it worked I know because I did it. it. It worked for us. I mean, if I would not have fallen in love with my husband in complete denial of us being anything other than friends, it wouldn't have worked at the time and where I was at in my life and and for him too. So um, I have to say that falling in love with somebody as your best friend so you can keep them is the best thing in the entire world as long as they're doing the same thing. Um, it's kind of torturous and very romantic. And it is... Uh, Absolutely. You get to know them all the way. Um, I got to know all of my husband's secrets. Like, I, I, I love that. Um, having somebody, when a guy's not actively trying to sleep with you, and I say this as a woman, I mean, listeners can disagree all they want, but when a guy's not actively trying to sleep with you and they're talking to you about other women and talking to you about themselves and their secrets and just being in, letting go of all their embarrassing things and giving them to you. And uh, I was able to make him feel safe. It made me feel safe because I was getting to know the real him. And I see that with Harry and Sally, that they saw e everything about each other and um, and they still like each other. I mean, they were each other's biggest fans. What's not more romantic if you can make that work? <laughs> right? All right. So I'm going to throw the challenge flag out on this one, Raylene. I mm -hmm. mean, sure, it, it worked in your case. You are the mm -hmm. exception, not the rule. Mm -hmm. Because I think that many, especially in this day and age, mm -hmm. men, for the lack of a better term, get in this situation where they're like in the friend zone. I'm actually one of the women that believes that the friend zone exists. So just keep it a coming. Go on. Okay. So, so a lot of guys like try this. They try to be there for women who are dating other guys and they try to be the shoulder to cry on or whatever, and then end up being in that non-romantic position of, I don't know what, what is that's yeah, not, it's, it's the, it's the beta backdoor gambit and it doesn't work. Yeah. You can't right? be a beta. Like the whole, the whole thing is yes, you're right. Um, so I am definitely, a lady who likes an alpha male, just throwing that out there. So I totally know what you guys are saying. And I agree. I think there has to be a point, especially for, for men where you kind of say, cut the shit. I like you. And I'm going to withdraw all of this awesomeness. If you don't give me a chance, I think a man has to be willing to say, all right, I hooked you. I mean, you got to fucking hook them. So be good enough. So that lady sees your worth and when you withdraw it then there she's gonna go no no i can't handle that i want you like if she's not doing that then you were not offering all up that you what you thought you were just throwing that out there am i wrong i feel like we're on dr drew right now this is this is good stuff here this should be premium content honestly i mean i just i'm here like i am i am a friend to men and I, I have a lot of sexist things that pe that people would call, accuse me of being sexist. But I'm telling you right now that if you are a man that recognizes and you oh, that you want a woman and you're pretending to be a friend when you know you want them and you're actively seeking that out, you are doing beta stuff. So if you know that you want them, you have to let them know that you're not messing around, that you're accepting the friendship right now, but that when you find somebody else, you're going to move on or, and that you're not there to be taken advantage of. I think that women sense that and don't want it. They want a guy that says, cut the shit, get with me or get the fuck out. Uh, that's sexy. So. Right. That. And it takes, it takes a while to develop that. I mean, you have to be secure in your person and kind of have developed who you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I mean, we see that in this movie where early on, you know, Billy Crystal is that emotional cad and, mm -hmm. uh, it wouldn't have worked out in that early part of the film. 
Oh, he needed to work on himself and, and become more comfortable with who he is before he was ready to be in that committed relationship with her and, and vice versa with her as well. They both matured beautifully. The dialogue matures, too, throughout the movie. Um, in my notes, um, I wrote, Harry delights in making it awkward. Now he's just a troll. So that's like you watch it and you can see him. And it reminds me of my husband who likes to troll people to get a reaction. And he thinks it's hilarious. And it's just for him. Uh, and Harry does that. Uh, Harry also trollishly, trollishly adopts new info as if it was his own idea. Now, the, 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 the greatest in the beginning, he does it. He does it throughout the movie. But it's hilarious when he's doing the whole it's out there. So he kind of hits on her. She calls it out like all offended it's adorable he's like no i wasn't and then he goes but what if i was so what can we just pretend let's take it back and she's like you can't take it back it's already out there and he goes oh it's out there it's out there so he makes fun of the word out there or the term out there and then he stops talking and then he brings it up again about how women and men can't be friends because the sex is already out there is at the end of that whole rant which is hilarious because Harry is a ultimately beautiful troll that has taken a term that he was l making fun of her for, which is the nagging that you were talking about, and then wraps it into his own definition of something he wants to be right about within minutes. How great is that? Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> yeah, he said that a lot, uh, which was yeah. funny. And, and that was in his immature portion of the movie. He didn't say that kind of stuff uh, by the end. Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned that the telephone, which was like, almost out of place now because of how old the movie is. But did you notice Princess Leia packing a Rolodex that she brought with her to lunch? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the sexist stuff that I was talking about. <laughs> okay. And not only that, but the other friend, the secondary friend who's not Carrie Fisher says, I wrote it down. At, at least you can say you were married. <laughs> <laughs> Dead. I died. Uh, yeah. No, that was back when, um, Gosh, that was the five years in, or was that the 10 years in moment? So she would have been either 26 or 30, 31. I think that was the 10 years in. And that was very, like, there was a little bit of a Yenta feel to it. And it could be a New York Jewish culture thing happening with the fixing people up. I didn't know if that was a nod to the Jewish neighbors in, in New York or not. Um, or if it was just, I mean, think about who made the movie. So it would make sense. But the whole bringing a Rolodex is hilarious. And she was trying to fix him, her up with somebody who, who she's already fixed her up with. Right. <laughs> and then she goes, Joe single. She wanted to grab the Rolodex again. She's like, Oh, he's single. You didn't tell me. I got to tell everybody. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. I liked it when she, when she found out he was married, she just folded down the corner <laughs> as if, well, oh, it's just a temporary thing. Don't worry about that. Goes, Shame. <laughs> well, and, and with her, she didn't, um, that, that wouldn't have been a disqualifier, right? Cause she was, she was dating or having an affair with a guy who was married, right? And and that was the the consistent refrain was she's never going to leave her. Yeah, and, and they were like never. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the his wife. Yeah, and she's like, her. I know, I know, you're right, I know, right. But how great is it in this movie? They do a really good job of showing that when you're in love with somebody, really, a lot of people think they're in love or they question it or they're always trying to process it. Um, and love is bigger than logic. It just is. I mean, logic's great and important, and I and I'm all about processing things logically. But the way when you're in love, you don't give an f. When you're in love, you're gonna stay the night. <laughs> when you're in love, you're gonna commute two hours earlier to work so you can be with the person you want to be for longer. Um, and and when her best friend meets Jess, the, the his best friend, and the way they are immediately, how cute they clicked, and then they were running off together on a cab, right? That was, that's what it's like when you're in love. And Carrie Fisher's character was wasting 
years and years and years with a married man being treated like she was less because she was expecting less. And there's a big, huge lesson for women in this and men too. I mean, um, why are we wasting our time with somebody who does not love and appreciate us? Because every minute that you waste, if you can't work it out and they don't seem to care, what are you doing there? Because you are literally stopping yourself from finding somebody who's actually going to love and appreciate you. That's that's my take. I do have one minor rebuttal to that. And it Please. goes in line with the maturation process. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to be in a long-term committed relationship mm-hmm. in my you know early to mid-20s. Mm-hmm. So I kind of needed some of those. You both know it's not serious. Yeah. But you're dating and you're figuring out who you are and how you interact with another in a close relationship. So... Well, there's nothing wrong with that if everybody's on board with it. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so don't be wasting the other person's time. Like, you know, make it known like, hey, I, I enjoy being with you. I'm not sure if I you know, want it to be like totally super long term, but, you know, let's enjoy each other and, and all that stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's just negotiating your contracts. I mean, we're, this is an ANCAP podcast, so it's really important for all anarchists or anybody who's even toying with the idea of voluntarism and uh, free associations, all of the, you own yourself, you own your relationships. So it's up to all of us to negotiate these contracts. Um, Can you imagine, you guys, if everybody actually got real and sat down and negotiated the contracts like, I'm never going to dump the garbage. I'm going to tell you every week that I'll dump the garbage, but I'm going to conveniently forget and you're going to get mad at me. I'll never change this. And they're going to go, okay, yeah, I'll take that. But then I'm always going to leave my clothes on the floor. I'm never going to feel sorry about it no matter what. I mean, this is the kind of contracts that we're all actually creating in our relationships with people, but no one ever says any of it. Why don't we? Like, let's just do it. Yeah. I, uh, Did I just blow your guys' minds? I mean, well, I know that I'm a girl, but I think that, and this is a very man thing to say, but why isn't everyone just getting real and saying, I'm never actually going to care about this. I can try. I, I might do it for you, but I might not. And are you going to be okay with that? Because that's what every relationship is, you know? It seems like that might cross some kind of a line. Really? Well, Ambiguity sucks balls. Okay. Like that's why relationships fall effing apart. Like it's like Right, that. but when you when you yeah. come right out and you say that I'm not gonna do X yeah. for no matter what, it, yeah. it kind of comes off as I'm not gonna try hard in this relationship. I hear you. I'm so not gonna put the effort in. It's kind of like this. How important is this to you really? My husband is so cute. I love him. He's a scientist. And one day I'm in my closet and I'm pulling something out to wear. And I find a Tupperware in, under my sweaters. I can't see what, what it is. I pull it out and there's like larvae in it. Okay. And I'm like, WTF. Okay. I'm like, oh my God, my husband, what is this? These like, like, like larvae. And it has a saran wrap top. I'm like, these could get out. They're in my closet, in my clothes. So I'm starting to clean my closet out. I find another habitat in my closet, in my clothes of soldier flies. Okay, so he's breeding these to feed to fish or something. He's he's amazing. Okay, he's amazing. But this is one of those things where he's never going to change being like that. That's something that I just have to accept. And I love him. And he means well. I was like, don't put these in my clothes anymore, please. Like, don't do this. This is completely unacceptable. And I just established how important it is to me that they're not in my closet. And I know where he's putting them. But he's never going to change it. So for me, it's kind of like, I mean, you should try if it really matters to them, but it's all a negotiation. We basically just kind of have a list of things that we can put up with, even though it annoys us, you know, of the other person, right? So sure. he's he's putting bot flies in the baby fish mouth. Baby fish mouth, baby fish mouth sweeping the nation. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. 
I don't know, I'm really loud and obnoxious and he puts up with it. So, I mean, I, I'm sure he didn't go out thinking, I can't wait to find the loudest, most obnoxious, biggest personality, a lady who jumps around when talking like an insane person waving her arms around. I don't think that's what he was looking for. And I don't think that Harry was looking for somebody who was a pain in the ass in the restaurant, but he ended up liking it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, well, per the, uh, per the movie anyway, for what right. we saw. Now that scene, um, you were right. I did read about it that they wanted to add a scene that would make the movie less so, um, heavy on Billy Crystal because there was so much of him being funny and, and people like being able to identify with him. So they added that for Meg Ryan. And yeah, it was her idea to do the uh, faking an orgasm. And they added the restaurant component to it to make it all the more awkward. Because like you were saying earlier, when he was more troll, like he was looking for those types of reactions. But this was sort of in that transitional period where he was now embarrassed by this. You know, and he was embarrassed by a lot of the things that she was doing and talking about, right? Like she would, uh, like when she was trying to put the, the the letters in the mailbox, you know, he was like, what the fuck, you know, come on, you know, like it's embarrassing for him. And then he just grabs them all and shoves them in. Um, yeah, that I would have also. Um, there's a few things about Sally. That's a great scene. So it doesn't match anything about Sally though. The, the, the I'll have what she's having seen. If you guys don't mind, can we discuss that really quickly? Um, I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah. And I've actually been to that deli. It's Cat's Deli. They have a sign that is right up over where uh, that that was shot. And the the woman with the killer line. Yeah. One of the best lines in movie time history, which was penned by uh, Billy Crystal, is Rob Reiner's mother. Oh, and she, I heard that it was ad libbed by her uh, in what I read. It, it was Billy Crystal came up with the line. But but Rob Reiner's mother said it and, and just nailed it. Like it just killed mm. like everyone cracked mm. up. And That's great. Uh, um, she. Um, she lived in 94, I think. And in her obituary, like they made reference to it. Um, so anyway, go ahead. I didn't mean to. No, no. I I love you. Okay. So <laughs> if we look at her character, Sally, on no level, the way she was so embarrassed, like she would get her, throw herself into situations when she was like, you know, when she was talking about who she's, I've had plenty of great sex in the very first scene when they were on the road trip. And then everybody stops and looks at her and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Right. She gets thrown into situations where she's really embarrassed, but, and then she just kind of moves on. It's adorable. Okay. Um, she's so gullible and naive and he uses reverse psychology on her. And then he, he's like, fine, don't tell me. And then she's like, well, if you must know, you know, she, she's so, uh, young. And then in that scene where she does that, that is so anti-Sally. It's not like her ever in any of the parts of the show, in any of the movie. So she was so offended by him just knowing he was he was she was offended because there's a lot of triggers that she wasn't even opening up to remember she's closed off to her feelings she's denying the truth of her her having feelings for for harry so because of that she's um judging his loose lifestyle sleeping with women he doesn't love and he's not romantically inclined towards and he's having sex with them and she's judging it and on some level she's probably jealous right so when he starts talking about Oh, I know they're having a good time. Trust me, I know all about it. You know, like like I I know they're having a great time. She wanted to take him down a peg, and I do believe that she was nagging him hard in that moment. And the roles were reversing a little bit because that is not like Sally, except for her pride was wounded, and she was teaching him a lesson, and that's why she faked that orgasm to make him feel stupid. And you gotta, I mean, that's pretty big, don't you think? For for a movie to have a character go so far out of character. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it's also maybe part of the maturation process. Not that she did it because she's a mature person, because it's a very immature thing to do. Yeah. But having the capacity to do it, like young Sally would never have done that. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. but she developed the ability to for you know like you're saying he she was kind of lashing out at him by mm-hmm. doing it like trying yeah, to overly embarrass him mm-hmm. and she wasn't capable of that before but now she is so she she has and she's had good ready. sex at this point you know she has at this point she's had good sex and she would let him know what it was all about i think that's hilarious yeah yeah and it's also um a sort of a prelude to them actually sleeping together because it it reintroduces the idea of it right mm-hmm. because she's kind of demonstrating it in a way to where there's um a dare yeah almost right mm-hmm. like it's it's almost a visceral or more of an emotional thing and that's kind of his trigger too because mm-hmm. he's a very emotionally driven person mm-hmm. not sure what the spread is between the events of of the cat's deli scene and when um her and joe break up or no joe's getting married right that's that's the yeah. thing where she finally that was the thing. feels it um i think that was in the same period of them being friends right so that must yeah. have been pretty close together yeah, she just couldn't believe when he was talking about sleep. Like, she's like, and maybe someday we'll, after that, we'll be having sex with them, sleeping with them. And he's like, oh, I slept with her, right? I think she was knocking him down a peg because she she wanted him to realize that he was, he didn't know everything and that she was just as smart as he was. I think there was definitely an equalizing of the playing field with that move on her part. And yeah, she made herself very sexual. That was pretty cool. Do you buy... Well, we talk- oh, go ahead, go ahead Daniel. Go ahead, Daniel. I was going to take us another direction. So okay, we... don't before we take it to another direction, we can't we can't talk about this scene without talking about the Seinfeld episode where almost the exact same thing happens. I'm sure we've all seen it, where yeah. Jerry finds out that Elaine fakes and has probably faked and many faked with him, and so then he gets so self conscious about that that he insists that they sleep together again so that he can make sure she has an orgasm. And I think in this movie, if they had, they could have gone, I mean, I like the way the direction the movie went. They didn't need to belabor this aspect of it, but they could have played around with Billy going, she faked that. I don't know. This is good though. I like it. There's a lot of Seinfeld esque content here. And and I know Seinfeld was, um, did it start in the same year as this movie came out? Was Seinfeld like 89 through the 89. Yeah. 89. Yeah, so it's right around the same time, and and I always thought that uh, looking for the uh, obituaries to find rent-controlled apartments to be able to rent was a Seinfeld thing, but then it came up in this, and I'm like, oh, that must be where it's from, or maybe they've used it in both a little bit, because I think Elaine like tries to get an apartment from someone who had died, right, um, in one of the later seasons of Seinfeld, so it must have originated yeah. here. Yeah. And of course, this is where we can rant a little bit about rent control. Um, because they talk about how difficult it is to find an apartment in New York and Billy Crystal's like, you might as well just mash up the classified section with the obituary section. So you can go, <laughs> yeah, they leave behind, uh, you know, three, three children and a, a apartment on the Upper West Side. With a wood burning fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and good. That's because if you, these people would um, get in at the low price and then, you know, be there for a decade or two. And the market rates would have gone up around them, but they're in a rent controlled imp- apartment. So then the incentive is to, try to get new uh, renters in there because then you can charge new now market rates. And so it would incentivize the property owners to not take care of things, to not be welcoming, to not be serving their clients, the, their customers, their tenants, uh, because they want them to move out because they're actually losing money by having those people in there yeah. because they're paying under market rate. Mm-hmm. Now, the market is not only supply and demand, but it's also inflation, right? So like if you're trapping people's paying um you know the rent at a certain rate and then not accounting for inflation i'm not sure if it did or not but i know walter block had a a, a paper that uh, you know making into a book where he was showing pictures of dresden after the bombings and 
uh, Harlem and, and other areas in New York after rent control, and you couldn't tell them apart. They both looked like the same amount of damage. And it just goes to show, you know, like when, when government intervenes and tries to um, control what people can do voluntarily with their own things, and, and you know, it, it leads to all sorts of uh, poor consequences and a lot of destruction. So that's my little side rant on rent control, and I'll post uh, a couple of things on our show notes page at lastnarrative.com slash 104 related to that. Um, Robert, you got any rants on rent control for me? Well, no, I mean, I sure I could, but I just wanted to quickly jump in. I mean, we're probably kind of sorry to run out of time, but you were mentioning that, you know, it's in- it incentivizes landowners to get rid of their tenants. And yeah, they offer big cash bonuses if they'll just leave. Like my my ex-stepbrother, Rain, he was offered, what, 25000 or 35000 to just get up and go because you're just losing so much money. And you get an apartment, you're in there for like 20, 30 years, and yeah, you're paying like 50, 25, you know, between 25 and 50% of market rate, if not less, it's it's crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And just a, a little bit more related to that is because the rent control was in place, they started asking for big deposits, like, oh, you can move in and pay, you know, $300 a month, but you got to give me 10 grand up front. And it was a way to like sort of offset some of that cost. And then they, um, then the city caught wind of this and outlawed that. <laughs> so then they started doing a thing called key money. So if you wanted to rent an apartment, you had to buy the key and the key was like 15 grand. That's well, I mean, there's going to, there people are going to find a way. So that, that's the market not finds right. a way. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's also a really good property rights little discussion in this movie. Uh, there's not a lot of libertarian stuff. There's not a lot of anarchist things other than social contracts uh, with each other um, in negotiations. But uh, they do a good job when he's like when when Harry's having a meltdown because he just saw Helen while he's singing Sorry with the Fringe on Top. And he goes to that to their house, to their friend's house, and they have the wagon wheel coffee table discussion. Right. And he's like, you better write your name in your books because you're not going to remember who's with who's and you're going to be fighting over this plate. And I'm kind of like, yeah, good contracts. That's a, that's a really, <laughs> uh, there is a libertarian message right here. And, uh, if you're going to get divorced, it's just like any other association, you should be very clear about who owns what and what happens afterwards. Yeah. It can lead to messiness for sure. Yeah. And a lot of yeah problems that would are just easily taken care of beforehand. Mm-hmm. Write your name in your books. Yeah. Good and, well, with, where where do you stand, Raylene, on uh, prenuptial agreements, that sort of thing? And I'm sure you're all for them, but don't they take the romance out of things? Uh, so do they take the romance out of things? What does that mean? No, uh, I I don't know. I'm poor. So is my husband. So we didn't have this problem. Okay. Poor scientist. <laughs> like, I married for love, so I don't really know. Um, I think that really rich people literally give a stipend to the person who's divorcing the rich person anyway. I mean, they know they just they, they're not going to get half. Do does somebody deserve half if they didn't earn it? Probably didn't not. The, I think the former a, Mrs. Bezos got half, didn't she? Or some right? Yes, yeah, something crazy. You know, yeah, like thirty-five I, billion or something. Okay, so there is kind of like a cutoff in in my opinion. Um, when uh, uh, let's say lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class, any middle class and below, um, if a husband or a wife is raising the children. So the other person can go to work and, and and do their career, but the other person's taking the time off. There is an understanding that it is for the good of the family. So it makes sense that when things get split up, it's going to, to be the person that put their career on the back burner to raise the kids would have help raising the kids in the future because they're not going to have as much money. They're not going to be able to make as much money. They didn't get to go to college or they didn't get to <clears throat> put in all those hours to be able to ha- make the big bucks now. I get that. Um, again, this is all stuff that should be privately handled. I don't believe in the state. So, you know, um, that's where I'm at with it. But if you marry rich and 
then you want to take half of it later. That that just seems ridiculous. Uh, I, I just I just don't get it. Um, I guess I don't need to be rich. I don't care. I'd rather make my own money and and not have that kind of shit. I, I wouldn't fight it, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I mean, if you're rich and I mean, the child support alone, if you have kids when you're rich is like so much money, like any normal person, any normie could literally support their family on, on their child support, support her. Like she could support their entire, like her and her new boyfriend on the child support. If that's a rich person, you don't need to take their fortune. I, I just, whatever. Prenups are good. If I was rich, I'd get a prenup. All right. Well said. Okay. So, so how do you, how do you broach it to the person, your significant other? Cause he's planning hey, a prenup. Right. He's got this entrepreneurial. Okay. So this is how I look at it. I would be like upfront from the beginning when you're dating. Like upfront and say, look, this is really, I have goals. This is how I'd say it. I have a vision for my life. I have goals. There are some things that I don't want to bend on. And even if I'm in love, I don't want to bend on it because things can change quickly. And I don't want to lose the footing that I've already created for myself. So you would negotiate that contract. So either somebody's with you for love and they're going to say, I'll sign whatever. And then another person might say, I'm going to sign this. But if I'm with you for 20 years, then I do believe that I should get something for taking care of all of your business at home and doing all these things, you negotiate it. Whoever isn't negotiating their contracts is at fault. Pay attention. Every one of us is responsible for what we do. I think she's onto something there. Women aren't stupid. So, and if they, if they are being stupid, then that's on them. I mean, what we're not, a, it's really sick to me that we infantilize people randomly and arbitrarily. And if women are everything that they say they are and want to be treated as, then they are responsible for negotiating what they want in their relationships. I'm so sick and tired of women blaming men for what they put up with. Um, Men are the tits. Okay. Men are amazing. Uh, They're not that difficult to understand. Um, Women seem to be the ones that are confusing everybody and themselves with what they say they want and what society is pressuring them to be. So I think when Harry Met Sally is far more intuitive about women than most of the bullshit that we see in media right now, because this is the this is real. And uh, I mean, what real fast, the sex fantasy dream that she's explaining since she's had since she's a kid. I just want to go here really fast and just like explain that I thought that was hilarious. I started laughing my ass off when I was talking to my husband about it. And it, it's, pr- again, very counterculture because it's a very submissive type of dream. Like a man rips off her clothes and she's sexually into that. Like even as a child, she's titillated by it as a young person, right? Um, that's something that nobody wants to talk about, especially because of like what rape culture and the patriarchy and um, women do like alpha males. And we're just conditioned to pretend we don't. So that's what I think. So that's what you got out of that, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sassy, right? Yeah. All I got was that she was so uh, anal that the only thing that changes in her dream was what she wears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, either way, it was like, I think it's really funny that she doesn't seem very... Um, adventurous it's not like a a really provocative sex dream but the fact that they were so close and she was sharing this sex dream she's like yep that's it right but i actually think it it shows that she had no control um sally was super controlling of everything in her life because she felt like she had to be and then we see that her her fantasy was having no control and I think there's a lot to be said for that even though it's it's very covert and small and I just think that that's really sweet of Sally and and um and I, I I get her she's cool all right well I think I think she's pretty cool too yeah and uh I was gonna throw this quip uh talking about Billy Crystal getting divorced from um Helen 
because he said, "Don't don't fuck with Mister Zero." <laughs> Mister Zero knew before before he did that he was getting divorced. Okay. How great is the scene where they're in a ball game? Um, here's another great scene from this movie. So I love, again, that we see a man who's really discussing what happened with his best friends. So they have a very intimate relationship and they're having this very intimate conversation where they have to do the wave. <laughs> I just keep getting up and down doing the wave during this talk about don't fuck with Mr. Zero T-shirt. Um, I think that it was the absurdity of the scenes in this movie are absolutely amazing because it does make sense that they're they're in a public place they're at a ball game but they're there to talk and to bond and this is how guys have to do it because they're not just allowed to call each other on the phone and gab guys don't do that so they show up at the game and they get really real really deep and say the most emotional things going on for themselves and there's a social pressure to voluntarily stand up and do the wave at a ball game and they do it i just think that's delish they got to go through these dude motions yeah yeah for cover, you know, for masculine cover. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that they, they couldn't talk to each other on the phone, but um, Billy Crystal and Rob Reiner actually did do this. It's it's shown in the movie as Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal talking, like watching the same show at the same time and mm-hmm. falling asleep. Apparently, they used to do that and have these conversations and watch the same shows while they were talking, having their dude bro time. Uh-huh. So I think it should happen. I just don't think that guy, guys, this is the truth is that men have not been raised to be physically affectionate with other men. They're, they're taught little boys in, especially in the generations before this, we're not allowed to talk about their feelings. We're not allowed to appear weak. They're not allowed culturally to feel their feelings. So I really enjoy this movie because they show an emotional person in the eighties and how they feel their feelings and how they express their feelings. And it's through humor, sarcasm, storytelling and observation and uh, at ball games with their friend. So I I think that's really cool, but yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to throw my question out that I was going to ask a while ago and I'll go to Robert first. Do you buy Billy Crystal as a leading man in a romantic comedy film? I don't buy him as like an alpha, but I could see the appeal of him. Like, I think he's charming. He has plenty of charm and he's witty and funny. And and I guess he's, I mean, he's not hideous, probably. So, yeah, I suppose so. Um, Maybe, I don't know. I never really understood quite the appeal of Tom Hanks either, other than just the the charm and the charisma, I suppose. So I I don't know. I mean, I was always a big Meg Ryan fan. Because she's so cute. For obvious reasons. Yeah, she's adorable, Mm -hmm. gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the women were getting out of the movies other than the relationship stuff and all the writing and all that. I I don't know if they were imagining themselves with Tom Hanks or Billy Crystal, but I could easily imagine myself with Meg Ryan. So yeah, Tom, Tom, in. Tom Hanks seems like the every man of um, our generation where, you know, like we did it's a wonderful life last week. Jimmy Stewart was kind of that for, you know, times past and Billy Crystal is more funny. You know, he's like the jokester type. But um, yeah. he, he also kind of reminds me of, you know, those sitcoms where the dad's always kind of a dork or kind of messes up, you know, and, and it's at the dad's expense. But they always have kind of a hot wife, like Everybody Loves Raymond or the King oh, of yeah. Queens or, you know, you name it. You pick a show the, the wife's usually pretty good looking and the, the guy's kind of open. A schlub. Schlub, yeah. What is this, though? I mean, c- let's get real, guys, because I'm the girl here. Let's just talk about this. <laughs> I, Why, I mean, how common is this? Honestly, be honest. It's very common in real life. Is it? Yes. So I have to say that, I first of all, my husband is sexy AF, okay? Uh, he is uh, the cat's meow. And you know what I mean? So I, I like... Meow. 
Meow. Yeah, meow. Like, meow. I, I love this guy. And when I first met him, not attracted to him at all. So it's personality, personality, personality. Any guy who thinks it's not about personality is kidding themselves because they just need to find a reason why they're not with somebody. I'm telling you, women looks is like when they're being shallow high and they're being taught by culture that that matters and girls are emulating all this stuff about men i mean i I, sorry but third wave feminism has taught women to emulate the worst parts of men and also men to emulate the worst parts of women so i mean i could go into that forever but um you know they're all little bitches now and uh women are trying to walk around like swinging dicks it's really stupid so um women are attracted to personality because that's what matters to them. They want somebody who's either smart and kind, nurturing to them, uh, protective of them and uh, capable. I mean, that's, that's what's more important. So looks are not as important to women as men think they are. Well, isn't it more about like being a provider for the offspring that, you know, biologically the woman is driven to desire, like just hormonal changes and things like that, like the biological clock we were talking about earlier, that kind of drives them to seek out potential mates who are going to make, um, you know, a viable life going forward. Yeah. And does personality play into that? Is that like a, a, a key indicator? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Someone's safe. I mean, I think a lot of women get it wrong and they pick somebody who's a little too safe that isn't interesting enough for them. I think that you can get really wound up in um, somebody who wants to take care of you and and they don't, the women are sure doing the wrong thing by picking somebody who it's like men are doing the wrong thing by picking someone only by looks and women are doing the wrong thing by picking men who are going to be good providers, but that they are not genuinely interested by. You have to be challenged and you have, and that's important. And that's what Harry Met Sally is. Uh, they challenge each other. And I think that that's why people identify with it because I know they need that even if they don't recognize they do. Okay, I'm going to shift the discussion one more time. Then we we'll get into some final summary and review. This is in my notes, but her joke about one of her early breakups with the guy that she apparently had great sex with, um, Sheldon. Sheldon. Shell. Oh, Sheldon. Oh, Sheldon. Drive me, you animal. Drive me. Uh, who broke up with her because he <laughs> wasn't comfortable with the explanation for where were the Sunday panties because <laughs> she had panties that were days of the week. What was the answer? <laughs> well, the the. Payoff is funny because she says, well, they don't make Sunday because of God. Because of God. (laughs) (laughs) But they do make Sunday at least for four-year-olds because my daughter has them and she wears the right ones every day and gets very livid if she doesn't have them available for the day of the week that they are. Where's your God now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, apparently uh, the the intervening 30 years... um, the panty makers have now made Sunday panties. I had Sunday panties in the 80s. I had the days of the week underpants also as a child, and I enjoyed the shit out of them. No pun intended. I um, I legitimately had them. So I remember watching that movie going, I had Sunday. That didn't make any sense. But because God is really funny. Her, her very simplistic point of view in the first part of that movie is just adorable, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's very uh, naive, very, very young and very... Um... Gullible. I think you said that earlier. Um, now, we don't know her um, origin prior to moving to New York, right? Like she went to University of Chicago. Was she from like the Midwest sort of Bible Belt? So maybe that's what might have played into the whole, you know, because of where she's from, the religious aspect would have had things like that culturally where they wouldn't make Sunday things or like, you know, stores would be closed on Sunday and things like that. Maybe it's a day of rest and you're not supposed to wear underwear. It's like pants. 
<laughs> Maybe you just deserve a day off. <laughs> One day of freedom per week. <laughs> All right. Well, um, unless you guys have anything else to uh, go over, um, we could get into summary and review. If Robert, you want to kick us off? Sure. I would love to. So watching this movie reminded me of the last movie we did. It's a Wonderful Life, just in that it was a simple story, well told. It was a movie that relied on its writing, on its characters to tell a compelling story. Um, it's really just a simple story of two people meet and fall in love. but each one is has their own quirks, and it's fun watching them interact with each other. They're both quite quite charming. Uh, it's it, you know it's a movie that sinks or swims on whether you like the characters because that's all you're getting. And I, I I can't imagine someone not liking these characters. Uh, it is kind of Aaron Sorkin-y with its witticisms and snappy dialogue, but I found this movie to be more realistic than The Social Network just because I I bought. Billy Crystal as a witty guy, and it wasn't as insane as some of those scenes in The Social Network. Um, so this movie really, I think, I don't know if it was this one or an earlier film, but really started my love affair with Meg Ryan and really kicked off the whole rom-com action. But I can see why. I can see why this really inspired. And I don't know how much of an influence on Seinfeld this movie had, but it sure seemed to. And deservedly so. This is a quite excellent film. It had me hooked the whole way. Uh, when the emotional beats happen at the end, I'm on board with it. Totally on board. I'm not sitting back there stoically watching with a blank face. I'm like involved. I'm rooting for these guys to get together. I really like the way it was written. I love the line from Billy Crystal, who's like, I love you. Um, I want to spend the rest of your life, my life with you. It's like when you figure out that you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, mm -hmm. you want it to start as soon as possible or something like that. It was just like, what a great line. And I just butchered it, but you know what I mean? You, you remember it better than I could say it. Uh, it's just really well done. And I don't know if it was, if it's as funny today as it was back then. I mean, it, it probably was like really racy and pushing, pushing boundaries back then. And today it's kind of quaint, but it still has the charm to, to hold up, especially since it just plays off the, the male female dynamic that, like I said, is, is, is pretty much as long as there's going to be humans. So this is a really strong movie. I'm giving this like an 8.5. It's as good as I think a rom-com as I've seen. I don't know. Maybe I like You've Got Mail better, but I'd have to go back and watch You've Got Mail again. So I don't, I don't, I just have better memories of You've Got Mail, but I probably like this movie better if I were to watch them back to back to back or something like that. But uh, really, really strong. Great film. Highly recommended. Check it out. All right. Well, I'm going to get your balls out of my purse, Robert. And, uh, <laughs> you've got mail huh all right all right well that, that's one that we were uh, actually talking about doing and i think that that has a good angle because it's got the bookstore like the little uh local shop versus the behemoth conglomerate which of course now they're suffering because they can't compete with the likes of amazon and uh the improved customer experience <laughs> uh in that regard but um i also agree with you know with you saying that this is a really good movie and it is a lot of fun for me it felt like kind of long but i think it was because I looked at how the runtime was like 90 minutes. And I was like, Oh, this is going to go by quickly, you know, and Billy Crystal is super funny and all this stuff. And it just dra dragged on for us. And I'm not sure exactly why that was. Um, maybe it's because my memory of it was, was a little bit fuzzy from it being so old, but it does for the most part, hold up. Um, and to your comment about it being quaint, I think in the mid two thousands, you could look back on this and it would be quaint. But I think in the problematic period of the, tr this is Trump's America. Uh, <laughs> 
I don't think they'd view this as quaint. I think they'd view this horrifically. I think yeah. if um, you you showed this to college kids right now who are woke, they would be they would need a safe space after this cookies and puppies and meditation and all that stuff. I think they'd be really upset by this. But um, I, I I feel like it was a is a well done film, and Billy Crystal, of course, is is amazing. He reminds me in a lot of ways of Bill Murray, but maybe not. Who was up for the movie, by the way? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's also an excellent ad libber. In fact, I think Bill Murray is one of my favorite um, actors. Billy Crystal's, you know, he's good. He's good. Uh, and I, I remember him doing the Oscars and he did that like three or four years in a row. And he was good at that as well. Um, but I think if he came out with this movie today, he would never have gotten the Oscar bit. Like Kevin Hart, I think it was. Was it him who got disinvited this year? For It was uh, last year. Last year, yeah. So I think and it was for a joke about if his kid was gay, he would break his dollhouse or something. It was a joke. Yeah, from like 2010. Like yeah. Tweet nine, eight or nine years ago. Yeah. I, I just, I hate this, you know, going into the archive to find some way to deplatform somebody. It's, uh, yeah. it's pretty ridiculous, you know, especially when it's like, what is your senses of humor, guys? Like, you know, you, you can't be funny anymore. It's, it's ridiculous. But uh, I'm going to go with an eight on this. That's my score. And we'll go to Raylene. We'll have what she's having here. Okay. Well, first of all, I love everything you guys both just said. So um, I disagree about You've Got Mail, but you gave me a lot of leeway on that. So I think that you would actually like When Harry Met Sally better, Robert. And I think that you're on the right you're on the right track um, because I have watched that a couple of years ago. And I remember thinking it's better than I when I first saw it. Not as good as When Harry Met Sally, because When Harry Met Sally, it, it this is quintessential best rom-com ever made. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. It's it's and the reason why it goes so long is because they do such a good job at jam packing it full of content, full of one liners, full of hilarious facial expressions and everything um, to you, Daniel. So I'd have to say I love the snapshot of the tail end, like the women's lib movement. And like these are all very independent women that are have careers and everything, but still want a family. I think they did a really good job of showing that uh, the culture is not always your friend. So I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I also really enjoy the fact that uh, both of them didn't know how to do it the old fashioned way in this modern world, which is really funny because it was in like 89. And at the time it was very modern. Um, I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10 for all movies. And that's really high for a rom-com. Uh, Black and gold is how you guys do that. Yes. Yes. So yeah. good. Watch it, guys. It's so funny. My daughter, who is totally a feminist, totally like SJW-ish, by the way, I had nothing to do with that. Wait, um, what? Yeah, I know, right? She's 21. What can I do? She has to like, it, this is her rebellion. It's really cute. So uh, she loves this movie. If she loves this movie, it's because it's it literally is that good. So Does she find it problematic? You know, she doesn't because... She was charmed by it. She couldn't even help herself. She got tricked right into it. She stumbled into it. So the writing's amazing. I love the evolution uh -oh. of the characters. I Patriarchy love got her. Yeah, Patriarch got her. Over and over again, those very small pockets she has. I have to hear about it all the time. Um, I really enjoyed the maturation over time. And the the let, really quickly, another thing that was amazing about it is how Rob Reiner went around getting couple stories from old couples that have been together for a very long time and the way the actors portrayed these real stories was so good there's a 
they have the Japanese couple about going over to the village and sneaking over to see his arranged marriage and that he thought she looked nice. And um, but the the best one out of all of them is the one with the lady talking. So the man starts and then the lady speaks halfway into his sentence. So he starts a sentence and then she starts to give more information on the other side. So you're trying to listen to both of them talking at the same time. You remember this couple? Like the elevator the one? Pardon? The elevator people? The elevator couple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she keeps That was talking. the cutest. Okay, that was the, the best cutest one. one. And, and the timing on this is so good that it would be the best short film. I mean, it is unbelievably good timing. And what I loved about that is that they would, she kept talking over the top of him halfway through, but you're trying to hear both of their stories. And then one of them would say something kind of important to the story that was really romantic. And the other one would stop and repeat what the other one said. And they batted that ball back and forth in between all of the interrupting storytelling, which was just unbelievably choreographed. And if you don't care about this movie, at least watch it for the old people because it's just lovely. It is. And Daniel, to your point about it being long and kind of dragging, I thought it was long, but I th- I thought it was taking its time and really getting us involved in these characters. It's a, it a lot like It's a Wonderful Life in that respect, that it really it trusted the audience to get into these characters and to not get bored during it. I, I thought it was great that way. Okay, and this probably just goes back to, you know, I listen to things that, two times speed so yes played at normal speed is like ah it's aggravating it's like trying to put those letters in one at a time into the mailbox for me i just want to cram them in just get it done <laughs> but uh overall i think uh an enjoyable film and we all gave it pretty uh sparkling reviews and personality plus raylene thank you for being our guest again we always enjoy having you on uh and we'd love to have you on again in the uh in the future um you you name it, your, your favorite movie we'll do it next time i have another favorite i'm sure of it I want to do Wayne's World with you guys. All right, mark it down. Okay. <laughs> Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Yeah, that'll be a good one. And uh, speaking of returning guests, we're going to be back next week with uh, Rachel Kennerly of Cannabis Heals Me. We're going to be doing M. Night Shyamalan's The Village, which <gasps> should be a good one. Uh, so we'll be yes. looking forward to that. And uh, if you guys like what we do here, uh, Robert's got a few things to mention. Um, and I'll just open it with Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, and Robert, what can they do if they want to help us have a better, uh, 2020 and we wish that for them as well. Well, you can do any number of things, starting from the smallest things like talking about it, mentioning the show to your friends and family, to your neighbors, to buying some merch on trubster.com or subscribing on YouTube or on Apple podcasts. You could do any number of those things. You could join our Facebook group, actual anarchy cadre. You, uh, that's like free to join, isn't it, Daniel? Well, it's meant for the Patreon supporters, but I, I add a few people in, you know, if I'm feeling generous. And it's it's a holiday season. So, yeah, the actual Anarchy Cadre, it's a, uh, a sanctum of uh, sanity in a clown world or something like that. I forget what I... It has a super long title. Hit us up on uh, Patreon or just PM me and I will get you in the group. That's right. Yeah, so you can support us on Patreon if you actually want to give actual uh, Federal Reserve notes or... We're not, we're not set to take Bitcoins or anything like that yet, are we, Daniel? No, no. No, I'd, I'd much rather have the counterfeit stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's so much better. It still spends. <laughs> for now. For now. So yeah, those are the some of the things you guys can do for us. And uh, of course, um, smash the like button and, and all that. And uh, you can find the Patreon at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. You can find the show and the show notes at lastnighters.com slash 104 and also on the Launchpad Media where they're always launching new ideas in your direction as well as Raylene's show Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. And we'll be back next week. Uh, we might do a little bit of Kathleen Turner Overdrive after this. Uh, so we'll say, um, what do we say here? Oh, yes. Good night from last night. 
All right. Yeah, it took me a minute to find the right button. So sorry about the awkward pause at the end of the uh, episode there. Uh, so we're going to continue for a few more minutes on the actual Anarchy podcast version. And I have uh, a question and I'll also share my story. But Raylene, um, you, you talked about, I think in the pre-show and maybe during the, the show proper, um, your relationship with your husband and how you had a similar yeah. period of time where you guys were friends and there was no romantic involvement. And then eventually you learned enough about each other to realize that you were um, yeah. right for each other. How did you guys meet? What's the origin? Because um, for me and my wife, uh, we have capitalism and technology to thank for us Aww. getting together because we met on the Internet and we tell our kids that mom went shopping uh, on the internet and found dad. Oh, um, I, I'll tell you, I, I, uh, worked at a, so I was in a terrible marriage that I was leaving. It was really, I mean, I used to be very ashamed of this story, but I'm going to share it because there I, I'm too old to be sad anymore uh, about, um, me not living up to societal expectations. Um, I had two kids and I was married and I got married when I was 18. And my husband at the time, who I don't really even, I finally released it and just don't even count him as a husband. Um, it was very, very extremely neglectful. And I went and got a job uh, to, so I could leave. Um, and it was, it was the really sad how abusive it was um, because I, it, I was so ruined. I was 22 years old and I got this job and I remember people were nice to me that my coworkers liked me. They thought I was funny and they had fun with me. And I remember it, it was so unreal. I was so brainwashed being in this relationship that I couldn't believe people liked who I was or thought I was fun or uh, uh, let alone any, any positive thing that, that they were showing to me. I was I didn't believe it. And, um, which is really sad state of affairs, but that's what happens when you're raised to not believe that you are as good as you are. Like, uh, it's really important how we raise our kids and to, um, help people that are victims of abuse to get out. So I, um, I worked at Denny's and it was my dream come true. I love serving old people. I love taking care of people. I love meeting people and having fun with them. And I, uh, met, this this guy that used to work there and the first time we met i'll tell you guys it's really funny just like billy crystal just the whole thing um i went out after work i said okay i can go out for like an hour and then i have to go home and and i'm hanging out with my girlfriends at the end of a table and my husband now justin is sitting over here on the other side of the table and he's trying to yell to get my attention now i didn't understand it it's because i was smoking hot i didn't know that at the time i thought i was a hideous old lady i was 22 and uh he couldn't get enough of it. So he's over here trying to get my attention and he he's yelling about, is there lanolin in my lotion? And I'm like, um, no, you know, I'm not going to talk to this guy because I don't talk to people, uh, men, you know, and I'm like, no, thanks. And uh, I didn't talk to him. So later in the night, I already found him obnoxious is what happened. And then later in the night, I'm arguing with an entire party about libertarianism. Okay, this is back of the dizzy. And I'm arguing with the whole party about how free markets are the best markets and everybody's wrong and the government shouldn't and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm kind of already in a fight with everybody, but I'm like keeping it like I'm cool and uh, low key. And he tries to get my attention and says, what do you think about me? And I think it was already in fight mode. So I looked at him and I said, well, I think you're pompous and arrogant. I don't think I like you very much is what I said, which is nothing like me. I'm the nicest person. I don't know what I was thinking. So I cut him down 
And uh, of course, now I, I hear the story later and he was like, this girl's so like wicked brave. She's up there like arguing with everybody. And like, he was like, she's smart. So he wanted to talk to me and he was trying to get my attention. And I was like, you know, like took out his leg. Then he tries to argue with me about the word pompous and what it means. So I completely destroy him. And then he goes, oh, and I was like, mic drop. And then um, I, I walked away. Well, now he's in love. So he decides that he's going to try to make up and be friends with me the next day. And then uh, so we, we meet at my job and where I'm working there and he's talking to me and whatever. And he ended up giving me food that he made. And uh, and I'm eating it with my hands like a disgusting pig because I'm like that. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, wow, you made this. I'm like, oh, wow, this is so good. Right? And he was like, God damn, I'm in love. Right. So then so he realizes I'm married. I'm like, I'm very unhappily married. I'm leaving him, but I'm not interested in anybody. That's that's what's happening. And we ended up being really good friends. Um, he, he couldn't help himself. He was allowed to be himself with me. Um, it, it was like the only real relationship he actually had where this 22 year old young man who had, uh, toxic friends who wasn't happy, who didn't have, um, a father who didn't know how to embrace his, his power. Um, he, he got that from me and from him, I got uh, a mirror of how somebody could be interested in what I had to say and genuinely talk to me about every topic. And he was so, he's a, he's brilliant. And so of course I was super interested in just talking to him all the time. And I just liked his quirkiness and he was so real and he was so honest and he was never disrespectful to me um, or about my marriage. It wasn't like that. So it was that we were both doing, uh, like there's no way kind of thing. He knew that. He knew that if he was er, er, tried to be anything other than my friend, then I would never talk to him again. And uh, we did that for a really long time. And I remember one time we're driving around the block and we're listening to some shit music. What was it? Like uh, it was Modest Mouse. Listen to Modest Mouse in the car. And we're driving around. And he's supposed to drop me off. I didn't want to get out of the car. And he kept driving around my block. And I remember looking at him and I... I'm not a dishonest person. Um, I'm extremely honest and real. And I remember just all of a sudden it dawned on me that what was happening. And I looked at him and I was like, and I said his name and I said, Justin. And then I couldn't talk. Like there's nothing, I couldn't say anything because I was like, uh, uh, right. I couldn't say it. And I, and he looked at me and he said, Raylene. And he looked at my eyes and it was very real. And it was just like the scene where Harry and Sally slept with each other. It was very, it was, but it was more, it was more intense and it was very real. And that's when, um, we didn't say anything because we knew if we said anything, then that we had to stop. And so that's when I left my husband and that's when I got a management job and that's when I decided to move out. And that's when I decided to, uh, I had to like, that was it. So, and we have been together for almost 19 years. So, and we have three of our own kids now. Wow. Wow, that that puts my story to shame. But um, <laughs> I don't know. That's pretty. I mean, I've had a lot of people say some nasty things to me about it, and it's okay. I it was my husband always says whenever he says he, people tell him stories, and they'll be like, "She left me for this guy," and he, they'll be complaining. He goes, "Are they still together?" Because we understand that that it sometimes it works out, and that you are supposed to leave, and sometimes you are supposed to be with somebody else. And I mean, it really gives us a lot of grace for other people. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like it, it did work out for you guys. And it almost like it echoes this movie a bit. And it sounds to me just in how you're describing it uh, in the um, the New Year's before they actually fall in love with each there other. It is. Mm -hmm. it, it's where they're about to kiss and they do that kind of dance and embrace. Mm -hmm. You can see the look on their face. Yeah. Where they both know that yeah. 
they want more, but they're not so sure. And yeah. then they do the, you know, the whole Joe's getting married. So they sleep with each other and kind of ruin it for a while. Because of what happened with me and Justin, I was very naive. I was only 22, but I had no, because I was living at home since I was 18, a stay-at-home mom kind of thing. I, I had a baby right away. I just didn't know. So I was very, very, very naive. And I would never have been friends with him if I would have known that that was the wrong thing to do, but I could that men and women can't be friends. So I have to tell you, ever since I've been with my husband, I am like, I can be friends with men, but I'm very careful. Like, uh, I don't play games because I'm not stupid. I'm like, nope. Like, I have rules. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. And um, oh, and one thing I wanted to mention during the, the main portion of the show, but the look on Billy Crystal's face the morning after yeah, is priceless. When he's laying in the bed with her, he's like, his eyes are just like staring. How the yeah. fuck do I get out of here? Yeah. So well done. Well, uh, thanks for the additional uh, content there for the actual Anarchy show. This is uh, episode... What is it now? Um, 161 of the show. Mm -hmm. So show us and everything at actualanarchy.com slash 161. Uh, join us next week, everyone, for The Village with Ray, or your Raylene, with uh, Rachel, Rachel from Cannabis Feels Me. So we'll be back next week. Happy New Year and maximum freedom, everyone. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do. days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.